Well, this morning, if you have a Bible with you, I'd like you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 4 and verses 1 through 6. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verses 1 through 6. Before we get into this, I want to thank Pastor Ron and Pastor Chad for filling in while I was sick last week, and especially to Pastor Chad for his uh, good message that he prepared on such short notice. Uh, I tell you, last week at this time, I couldn't even stand up, so... Um, I feel 100% better today. Um, so thank you to them, and, and what, a, what a blessing to have these guys just fill in just like that with no problem at all. Well, it's been a while since we've been in our study of First Peter, which we've been going through. We had the missions conference, and then we had Easter last week, and so now we come back, and so we come to a new chapter in our study of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4 in these first six verses. Now I want to say to you right from the beginning this morning that these are not easy verses to read. And by that I mean they're, it, it comes off in the English translation a little awkward. So what we have this morning is a passage that reads awkwardly but has a very simple message. So it's a passage that reads awkwardly, but has a very simple message. And I don't mean just in the English Standard Version. I read a number of different versions to get a feel. I always try to do that, a feel for this, uh, the, the passage. And just the Greek to English, sometimes, sometimes it just isn't a, uh, an easy transition. And we have one of those cases here. So let me read this for you. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verses 1 through 6. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves in the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you, do not join, when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Well, our first point this morning is a context of suffering. This is going to take us back uh, a number of months, but it is very important to keep in mind that the people to whom Peter is writing were enduring persecution while living in a very sinful and godless culture. We've gone over that a number of times but it is so important for us to remember that he is writing to a group of people scattered throughout this area who are going through persecution under the hands of the Roman Empire. Some of them had even been put to death. And because of that, the book of 1 Peter is extremely relevant for Christians today. I'm not sure that there is a book that could be more relevant for what we are going through in America right now than the book of First Peter. Because we are living in a culture, as you know well, as you see every day in the news, 
that is becoming increasingly godless and sinful. Al Mohler, the president of Southern Seminary and a man who often comments on current events from a Christian perspective, is fond of saying that we are in the midst of, folks, we are in the midst of a moral revolution in America today. We are in the midst of a moral revolution. The LGBT community is pushing its agenda on all of us in a very aggressive way. Same-sex marriage, the use of restrooms by transgenders, and this very intense political and corporate pressure against anyone who tries to legislate or bring about greater freedoms in Christian liberties and rights. And we are seeing this constantly, and we will continue. This is a battle, this is a fight that is going to continue all over our country and in every state. But I want you to know this morning, this is not surprising historically. It is not surprising what we are going through. Throughout the Bible, God's people have had to endure misunderstandings and hatred of this, or misunderstandings, the misunderstandings and hatreds of the secular culture throughout the time in which they lived. So we can trace the Bible all the way back to the book of Genesis and we will see that God's people have always had to endure misunderstandings and hatred in the secular culture in which they lived. Just this past Wednesday night in our Kingdom Man Bible Institute class um, where our, some of our men gather and, and we work together through the Word of God and through the Kingdom Man book that we are going through written by Tony Evans, one of the passages that we looked at just on Wednesday night was Genesis chapter 18. Some of you will remember that in 2014, I preached through the life of Abraham, and I preached a sermon out of Genesis 18. In Genesis 18, God is about to destroy Sodom. And Abraham comes to him, and he begins to intercede with God, and he begins to plead with God. And he says, oh God, because Abraham knows that God's plan is to destroy Sodom. And he said, if there are 50 righteous people there, will you spare the city? And God says, yes. If there are 50 righteous people there, I will spare the city. And then Abraham goes on and he says, what if there are 45? What if there are 40? What if there are 30? What if there are 20? And finally he says, oh Lord, please don't be impatient with me. What if there are just 10? What if there are just 10 righteous people in Sodom? Will you destroy it? And God says, no, if there are ten righteous people in Sodom, I will not destroy it. But God does destroy the city, which tells us there were not even ten righteous people in the city of Sodom. Now, I went back over my notes that I had preached from a couple of years ago, just to double-check on the figures. And it is believed that the city of Sodom, at that particular time in history, had about 250,000 people. 250,000 people. So this wasn't St. John's. This wasn't DeWitt. Okay, this was a large city, especially in the ancient world. And among 250,000 people, God could not find 10 righteous people. 
Folks, Sodom was in absolute moral chaos before God destroyed it. And I want you to think with me. I want you to think with me. First Peter was written in approximately 64 A.D. So, about 2,000 years ago, the people to whom Peter is writing were living in a sinful and godless culture, even worse than the one that we're living in today. God destroyed Sodom, historically it is believed, approximately 2067 B.C., which means that was over 4,000 years ago. So over 4,000 years ago, these people were living in a sinless, a sinful and godless culture. And I simply say this to you, this is not new what we are going through. This is not new what we are enduring in America. So what is happening in America is not surprising. What is surprising is how rapidly our country is following the same path as ancient cultures. That's what's surprising. What is surprising is how fast, how rapidly America seems to be going down the same path, going in the same way as ancient cultures. And Peter's whole point in this passage is it is not easy to be a Christian in a secular culture. Never has been. And it isn't now. And it never will be. Now, I want to be very careful this morning. I don't want this message to sound like doom and gloom and fatalism, like there's nothing we can do, let's just throw up our hands because America's going to get worse. No, not at all. We should continue to pray. We could, should continue to be salt and light and to do good deeds and to do good everywhere we go in any way, in every way that we possibly can. We are the people of God. We are the ambassadors for Christ. We should be about that. But Peter wants us to know, even as we're doing that, it's not easy. It is not easy to be a child of God. You see, being, in a, being a Christian in a sinful and fallen world has always been hard because you are always going against the current and swimming against the tide. And that's what we're doing. To be a child of God in a sinful and fallen world is to go against the current and to swim against the tide. This passage ties directly back to 1 Peter 3.18. If you remember, second Sunday in February, we looked at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 22, which I said was perhaps the hardest passage in the entire New Testament because it talks about Jesus going and preaching to souls in prison in hell. But he's going to souls bound in prison. And really there is what we would call a parenthetical portion there in that passage that we looked at. But the heart of that passage, the important part, is 1 Peter 3.18. And that's what Peter is connecting to when we come to chapter 4. 1 Peter 3.18, again, just so that we have it in our minds, says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Oh, we are to know that Christ suffered for us. 
He was put to death in the body. He was put to death in the flesh, but he was made alive in the spirit. And so Peter tells us, as he told his readers, living in a sinful and godless culture, that we are to arm ourselves with the very mind of Christ. In verses 1 and 2 again, we read, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. The key to this whole passage is the term, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. If you remember nothing else this morning, if you walk out of here with nothing else, remember that you are to arm yourselves to think in the same way Jesus thinks. You are to arm yourselves to think the same way Jesus thinks. So even though some of this English wording here is a little bit awkward, the message is very simple. The simple message of this whole passage is that as a Christian in a secular culture, you are going to go against the current and swim against the tide, so arm yourselves with the mind of Christ. That's, that's the message. It's very simple. As a Christian in a secular culture, you are going to go against the current, you are going to swim against the tide, so arm yourselves with the mind of Christ. Christ suffered in the flesh, in his body, before his death and during his death. And we are also, we are also to be willing to suffer because we belong to God. Jesus was willing to suffer because he came to do the will of the Father. He had an all-out, abandoned devotion and commitment to the Father. Whatever the Father wanted him to do, that is what he would do. We are to have that same kind of thinking that we are willing to endure and go through whatever we have to go through because of our loyalty, devotion, and love for Christ. In verse 2 it says, so as to live, or excuse me, at the end of verse 1, end of verse 1, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. What does he mean by that? Actually, I think it has a twofold meaning. First of all, when we are willing to suffer for the sake of Christ, and for the sake of the gospel, we can be sure that one day, when we die, we will be released from the power and presence of sin. It will be worth it all. We keep enduring for Christ. We keep living as disciples of Christ, knowing that someday, someday when we die, we are going to cease from sin. We are going to be delivered from the very presence and power of sin in our lives. And we look forward to that day. So we keep persevering. We keep enduring in our walk with Christ. But there's another part of this. When we live with that kind of attitude and with that mind sense, or excuse me, mindset, there is also a sense in which we break the dominance of sin in our lives right now. So this is not just future. It all is also present that when we know one day we are going to be set free from the power and presence of sin, 
And let us remain faithful to Christ. Let us never deny Christ. Let us never walk away from him. If we have that mindset, then even right now, we are beginning to break the dominance of sin in our lives, the allure and temptation of sin in our lives. And so he says, for whoever has suffered in the flesh, who is ever willing to suffer with the same kind of thinking that Jesus has, has ceased from sin. And then he says this, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, which is really the rest of your time on earth, no longer for human passions or human lusts, but for the will of God. Our daily desires are no longer dominated by human passions, but by the will of God. Knowing that we live for Christ, we are no longer dominated and controlled by our human lusts, but we are dominated and controlled by the will of God. We want the will of God. We love the will of God. We desire the will of God. We hunger and we thirst for the will of God. This is not new. Jesus said this very thing in a different way. In Luke chapter 9, in verses 23 and 24, we read, And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Here is our daily responsibility. Here's what we do as we live for the one who suffered for us. We deny ourselves, we die to ourselves, and we follow Christ. What is the will of God for you today? What is the will of God for you when you get up tomorrow? You are to deny yourself. You are to, de excuse me, to die to yourself, and you are to follow him. You are to live for Christ. Any one of you wants to save his life, any one of you wants to fall in love with this culture, to cave in to this current culture, you will lose your life. But if you lose your life for Christ's sake, giving evidence that you are a true child of God, you will save your life, not only for now, but for all of eternity. I loved what one writer said. He said, this has been the mindset of Christian martyrs throughout the centuries. This is the mindset that the martyrs have had throughout the centuries. I don't care what I suffer. I don't care what I endure. I will never abandon Christ. I will never deny my Savior. I will love him. Whatever I am called to go through, they cry out with Philippians 1.21 with Paul in that great passage, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's what, exactly what Peter is saying here. That we're wading through how he presents it to his readers. He's really saying the same thing. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Folks, folks, last Sunday, last Easter Sunday, some of our dear and precious brothers and sisters in Christ were slaughtered in Pakistan on Easter Sunday on Easter Sunday they were killed because of what they believed they were killed because of their faith in Christ we must stand with them 
We must stand with them every day of our lives. Christ suffered for us to bring us the very free gift of salvation. And those who have received it must be willing to suffer for the sake of his name and for the sake of his gospel. Which brings us to our second point, the cost of being different. The cost of being different. Peter reminds us that being a follower of Jesus Christ is costly because the culture you live in will find you strange and even threatening. Let us know that. The more we live for Jesus, the more our culture will find us strange and even threatening. Look at verses 3 and 4. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join, when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. Without Christ, people naturally live for unrestrained satisfaction and indulgence of their sinful passions and desires. That's just the truth. Without Christ, people very naturally live for the unrestrained satisfaction and indulgence of their sinful passions and desires. How do I know that? Because that's how we used to live. Many of you here today, that's how you used to live, for the unrestrained satisfaction and indulgence of your sinful passions and desires. That's how the people to whom Peter is writing, that's how they used to live. That's what he's referring to here. In verse 3, he says, For the time that is past suffices for doing what Gentiles want to do. In other words, what Peter is saying here is you've had sufficient time in the past to live like they lived. Give it up. It no longer is to mark your life. You've had sufficient time in your unsaved life, in your unregenerate life, to live for the passions that those people are living for. And notice he says living in sensuality. Sensuality is a broad word. It means excessive, unhindered indulgence in your sinful passions and desires. And really every other word there, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry are just expressions of that sensuality. In two different commentaries that I read, it was very common at this time for groups of people to kind of be like marauders around a town or a village. Not young people, but adults. They would get together in large groups and they would drink until they were just stone drunk. And they would go around kind of causing all kinds of public disorder and they would worship their false gods. They would sing to their false gods. They would engage in all kinds of lewd sexual immorality. And they would just go around these towns and these bands and groups. Adults, again, I'm not talking about teens. I'm talking about adults. And this is how they had fun. This is how they enjoyed themselves. And some of the people to whom Peter is writing, they used to 
engage in that. They used to be part of that. But now they're not. And those people who still do it are offended by that. Why don't you still join us? Do you think you're too good for us? Are you judging us for the way that we live our lives? So they were surprised. Surprised that they would no longer join them. But they're not just surprised. They're offended and even threatened. Again, verse 4. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. They speak against you. John MacArthur has an interesting quote related to this. And it's something that we don't always think about. This is what he says. Ancient sources, both Christian and non-Christian, provide ample evidence that it was Christians' reluctance to participate in many conventionally accepted amusements and ungodly civic ceremonies and their refusal to engage in idolatrous, immoral functions that caused unbelievers to hate and revile them. That led to unjust persecution and suffering for righteousness' sake. Now, I think this is important because as Christians, we don't often think about this. When we think of people being persecuted in other countries, we think, well, they're being persecuted because they believe Jesus is God. They're being persecuted because they believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him, that he is the only way of salvation. We think that they're being persecuted because they believe that Jesus died as a substitute on the cross, and that goes against their religious beliefs. And that is true. All of those things I just said are true. That is one of the reasons that Christians around the world are being persecuted, but it's not the only reason, and I think this is interesting. Another reason they are being persecuted is because they refuse to live the way the people around them live. They are living morally upright lives in immoral cultures around the world. Folks, this is happening more and more right now in our own culture. In this moral revolution that I mentioned earlier in the message, we are being told this on a regular basis. In fact, these are very similar to the words that the governor of Georgia recently used in vetoing a religious protection bill in his state. He said publicly, the world is changing around us and we all need to adjust to it. This is a Republican, a Republican governor. The world around us is changing and we all need to adjust to it. Folks, we are being told on a regular basis we need to be careful or we're going to find ourselves on the wrong side of history. They are saying to us, it's time to get on board. But here's the problem. We can't get on board. As long as we believe that Jesus is Lord, and as long as we believe that the Bible is the word of God, we can't get on board. We'll never, 
ever be able to get on board. And we're going to pay a price for it. Because God's people always have and always will. Which leads me to our next point, our next thought. Part of arming ourselves with the mind of Christ is knowing with a confidence that runs deep into our souls that God is going to impartially judge every person who has ever lived. We need to know by faith that no matter what is going on in our culture, in the right here and the right now, that we need to live for God because God is going to bring judgment and accountability to every single person including us and including them. In verses 5 and 6, it says, But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. As a motivation to keep going, to endure through the hard times, we need to know that every person will give account to God. The phrase, the living and the dead, is important here. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. The living and the dead simply means every single person who has ever lived or ever will live. Every person. Every person. The living and the dead. Every one of them will eventually give an account of themselves to God. No person ever gets away with anything, no matter how it seems, how it looks, or how it appears to our human eyes. No one ever gets away with anything. Sometimes when a criminal has gotten away with a crime, people will say something along the lines, well, they will face their judgment either in this life or in the next. And folks, that is true. The Bible tells us it is true. Every single person living and dead will be accountable to God and will be judged by God. And that is why we are faithful in preaching the gospel to the ends of the earth. Because we are truly God's messengers. We are messengers of hope and we are messengers of warning. Know that every time you give out the gospel. In your witness, every single day you are a messenger of hope and you are a, message, a messenger of warning. God has accomplished our salvation in Christ and he offers it to us as a free gift of salvation. If you receive it, you will receive the beautiful, wonderful, amazing forgiveness that Pat sung about this morning. You will be a child of God, but if you reject it, God will hold you accountable and you will be judged and you will be punished. That is the whole of the gospel. And so we must live by faith and not by sight, knowing that God is doing so much more than we will ever, ever be able to see. In verse 6, it says, For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. And what that means here, those Christians who have now died and gone, we're so glad we preached the gospel to them because now they know Jesus. Now they're in heaven with him. Now they are free from the power and presence of sin. 
Though they might have been judged in the flesh the way people are when they were here on earth, though the world might have judged them according to their standards, they might live in the spirit the way God does, or as one translation has, now they are alive forever with God in the spirit. It will be worth it when we die and we are with God for all of eternity. It is not easy to be a Christian in a secular culture. One of the reasons the gathering of the church week by week is so important is because we are here to encourage one another to keep going against the current and swimming against the tide. Folks, your church attendance is more important than you will ever understand. Yes, we come here to worship. Yes, we come here to fellowship with one another. Yes, we come here to break bread together and to pray together. But another important reason we gather is to encourage one another. Every week in this world that we find ourselves in, in this culture that we find ourselves in, we need to be saying to one another, keep going. Keep going. Keep going against the current and swimming against the tide. Keep arming yourselves with the mind of Christ. Keep thinking the way that Jesus thinks. One of the great passages on the church in the New Testament is Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25, where the writer of Hebrews says, And let us consider, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Folks, we come together as the body of Christ so we might spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Don't get discouraged. Don't give up. I know it's hard, but keep going, keep doing those things with Christ's love and with the good deeds of his love. Let us encourage one another, he says, and all the more, and I love this, and all the more, do it more and more as you see the day approaching. Do you notice in the verse, the word day is capitalized. You see that? The word day is capitalized. And the reason it is capitalized is because it is referring to not any day, but the day of the Lord, the coming day of of the Lord when Jesus is going to return and all men will give an account all men women and children will give an account of the way that they lived and the choices that they made Jesus said this if anyone would come after me let him deny himself take up his cross daily and follow me for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Let's pray together. Father, help us to live for Christ. Even though we totally go against the current and the tide of this world, in his strength, by his power,
Help us to live loyally and devoted to him every single day. Let us be the light of Christ. Let us be the salt of the earth. Let us be the light of the world. For we ask these things in Jesus' name.